I was walking through the halls of a Minnesota rink When along came a wild fan who started talking smack to me He said, I bet you never liked the blues until they won a cup and So I calmly turned to him and said, hey man, listen up I admit it's pretty great to win Lord Stanley's prize But listen, I've been waiting for this moment my whole life Yes sir, I'm a blues fan, yes sir, I'm a blues fan Heartbreak's all I knew, man, that team from old St. Lou, man Got a cup in here, 52, man, give me a let's go blues I know Brett Hall, Courtney Campbell, Cujo, Jenny Oates, Brown, Chase, Fury, Zombo, Sezzle, Butcher, Shanny, Tilly, Tuttle, Sutter, Twister, Turcock, Kimball, Turgeon, Baron, Bassin, Pronger, Pearson, Bergevin, Bozon, Al McKinnis, Crab, Chuck, Howard, Chuck, Petrovicki, Pellerin, Dimitra, Yate, Corson, Conrad, Gretzky. Yes, sir, I'm a blues fan. Yes, sir, I'm a blues fan. Heartbreak's all I knew, man. That team from old St. Lou, man. Got a cup near 52, man. Give me a let's go blues. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Blue Note, located on the best city in the Mississippi, the best in the Midwest. We've got that Stanley Cup power, too sweet to be sour. And if you're still clueless, we're talking about St. Louis. I'm the captain of the ship, Tom Franklin, already in drinking mode here. Uh, and I'm joined by my executive officer, Wags. Uh, Wags, uh, I hope you got a drink as well, or if you had some, because this is going to be an emotional uh, episode. I, I've libated myself uh, a lot already today so i am ready to go i am uh i'm gonna hold off on drinking during the show but i am ready for this or at least as ready as i'm ever going to be well you might be the coherent one here by the time the episode is done because uh um i'm drinking just in case you're wondering um because they do this on the soda pod where they ask what are you drinking and you know, they always talk about the beers that they're drinking this is a white russian um, this is a white Russian and I'm doing, I'm drinking a white Russian, not just because it's my favorite, you know, liquor, uh, cocktail, but it's also, um, in honor of the Detroit Red Wings of 1995, 96, who had about five white Russians, uh, that broke, that helped break our hearts. So, you know, here's to you, Red Wings. I'm, I'm, this is, this one's for you. Salute. So, salute. Salute. Um, a couple of little uh, business notes to get along uh, out of the way here, including a ginormous announcement here on Blue Notes. Um, our probably our biggest guest that we've had yet on Blue Notes. Uh, it's going to debut on Thursday. We're going to talk about that real quick. But first, five dollars off of our Blue Notes shirts, like the one I'm wearing, like the one Wags is wearing, um, with the code Keenan Sucks S U X. Uh, at our Teespring store. You can find it in the description below. You can wear a shirt just like the one that uh, Guy the White Blues fan wears for his Aloha commentary podcast at a special price now through the end of Monday the 30th at our Teespring store. Check that out if you've been wanting to uh, uh, get a deal on one of these and uh, rep your favorite blues podcast. Um, all right, announcement time. So, yeah, we're, yeah, we're, we're rubbing our, our hands for this one because this is hot. This is hot. So... We've had a lot of great guests on our show so far. We had blues organist Jeremy Boyer. We've had post-dispatch uh, writer uh, Jim Thomas. We have had, you know, obviously the white blues fan. Luke Whitbin, Teriyaki Fingers was a very special uh, video later on in this episode as well. This is a big episode we're talking about here, and it includes this big announcement. So we're going back to two days, uh, two episodes a week, starting this very week. We will have an episode on 
Thursdays going forward. It's the old schedule uh, that we had uh, before uh, the pandemic hit and ruined our lives. <laughs> um, so, but but we're we're gonna do the Thursday episodes audio only at least to start. So, uh, find Blue Notes wherever you get your podcast from, and you'll want to find Thursday's episode because Wags, myself, and Gabriel Foley of Last Word on Hockey and the St. Louis Game Time will be interviewing St. Louis Blues. First round pick, Jake Neighbors. We got Jake Neighbors. We're going to record with him uh, this week, and we're going to release uh, the episode on Thursday. Our discussion with Blues first round pick, Jake Neighbors. And uh, what a guy. Um, I And you're wondering, well, how, how, how did you pull this off? Well, it's just it's very simple. I, I tweeted him right after he was drafted by the Blues. And uh, he checked his DMs about a month and a half later and said, okay, I'll come on. So, you know, that's that, just in case you're wondering how professional broadcasters do it, this is how we do it. We just, we, just, we just tweet spam people and they respond six weeks later. I mean, that's, that's how it works in the industry, right, Wags? Oh, totally, totally. And, yeah. and honestly, what kind of player or person is this guy going to be when he responds to those kinds of tweets and agrees to come on you know, our little show? So yeah. it, that right there tells you kind of what, kind of person and player the blues are getting somebody that is going to interact with the community and be someone that you're going to be proud to say is a st louis blues so i'm excited to talk with him i cannot wait for this interview well they say jake neighbors is quite a character you know and his play on the ice kind of reflects it a little bit you know so uh looking forward to chatting with him it's going to be audio only on thursday uh, we might release the video later on on YouTube, uh, but we want to make sure you're listening to our podcast as well. So uh, our audio podcast, rather. And also, um, at some point during this episode that we're doing right here, we're going to put out a tweet. Uh, if you want to ask Jake Neighbors anything, uh, let us know. We'll put out the tweet here uh, uh, later on in this episode. So we want your fan questions. Gabriel's going to have his questions. We're going to have our questions. So uh, please feel free to join us on Thursday, but get those questions in because we're going to be recording with him uh, very, very soon. So no actual hockey news again this week. Um, the there, I guess uh, Pierre Lebrun tweeted out the other day that there has been discussions between the two sides, but uh, nothing imminent, nothing really, no new ground was broken in those discussions. So uh, here we are, Wags. We're, st we're, we're in the same position as everyone, just wondering when the hell we're going to have hockey again. Yeah, we really are. And for a while there, up until LeBron's tweet, we were worried that things were breaking down because there was no communication between the players and the owners. It seemed like there was going to be a stalemate. And you were thinking, oh, gosh, February maybe is when they're going to start. But now that there seems to be some sort of communication lines between the two, it, it makes you confident. Obviously, January 1st is probably not going to happen because I think you would have to have had made that decision really this week uh, to really get that ball rolling. So February is looking more and more likely, but just the fact that they're talking makes it feel like there actually might be something that actually comes about this coming season. And I'm hopeful for it. I'm happy for it. I know I'm praying to every God that's <laughs> imaginable to make sure that there's some sort of hockey. Cause you know, I get a chance to watch my nephew play, but watching eight year olds versus NHL players at some point we got to progress. <laughs> I always think back to those uh, NBA commercials, or I guess those Nike commercials in the 90s when the NBA had their lockout. And I remember one commercial where you had Samuel L. Jackson sitting in the driveway of uh, watching, you know, some, you know, very unathletic guys playing horse, you know, in their uh, driveway hoop. And, you know, he looks back at the camera and says, 
Uh, a game of horse. It's fantastic. Well, that's kind of where we are right now because, I mean, you know, Nephew's hockey games is just about all we've got right now. We, uh, I mean, granted, we do. I mean, we do have college hockey if yep. you're lucky enough to live in a uh, uh, town that has a, a college team playing hockey. Um, at least for the Division One levels anyway. We're still waiting for the sub-NCAA uh, games to go on. And even Jake Neighbors himself, he's not playing hockey right now. He is he is uh, sitting at home in uh, air-dry Alberta right now. So that's probably one of the reasons why we got a chance to talk to him, because he's just not really doing anything right now, along with a lot. As uh, junior players are even, even wondering in Canada, like, did you see in Canada, like, Ontario is saying that players can't check each other, yeah. or at least they're considering that? You, that that's... That can't work. I don't even know how that's possible because, I mean, I play roller hockey and we still, we don't allow checking in that, but there's still lots of physical play. So like, what are you labeling as a check? Like, and how, how do you enforce it? You know I mean? Like, like if you're, if you're like, you know, scrumming along the boards, you know, and you have your body on the, on, on another player, is that considered a check? I mean, how is, I mean, you, you can't enforce that. And it basically, you know, you're, you're, you're walking a line between, turning hockey into something that isn't hockey, you know, because hockey is a physical sport. It's one reason why we love watching hockey is because mm -hmm. it's a physical sport. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. Um, but uh, in the meantime, no real info to uh, talk about there. And if it sounds like I'm rambling to avoid our topic of the uh, episode, it's because I am. Uh, it's our number one most stomach turning moment in blues history. Gretzky had it, lost it. Uh, I actually had to watch that video for research earlier today, and um, the, the White Russian started right, you know, not long <laughs> after that. So, you know, well, I've, just... I've I've changed my mind and my tune. I am going to enjoy a beverage as well. So, oh, okay, is that uh, a play, gonna... is that a play Gloria version of the? Um, uh, it is a 2019 Cup champion. It is. So it, it is. is a play Gloria. So at least at least I we have that. We've got the Stanley Cup, and we can at least wash this down, knowing that we have a championship. Well, and I and I hope that beer is not flat because I think that's been out in the market for about a year or so. So, oh, it's still good. It's still good. Good. To, victory still tastes great. Yes. <laughs> All righty. So yes, uh, and in addition to our number one most stomach turning moment, we also have our honorable mention that is Brett Hall leaving St. Louis. You know, a couple of years after that calamity happened and uh, we have two special contributions not one but two special contributions for our number one most stomach turning moment of uh in blues history uh, of course we're gonna have our aloha commentary coming up guy really went all out for this one he hit multiple stops on his uh aloha commentary this week as a couple honorable mentions and his uh number one moment is actually a moment i think we overlooked a little bit um, and it's and it's it's a good moment, and it's it's definitely worthy of top five discussion, very very much so. So we'll we'll get to that in a little bit. But first, let me tell you about Luke Whitman. He is known on Twitter as Teriyaki Fingers. Please, for the love of God, follow Luke Whitman. He is a wonderful human being, but he's also a very talented um, Weird Al Yankovic recording style recording artist. Uh, he does. Uh, he's a song parody genius. Uh, he does our intro song that you hear every single episode. Of course, he was a guest on our show a few months ago. And uh, you, we actually you probably heard his uh, blues goalie music video that we played a couple weeks ago here on, on Blue Notes as well. But nothing, none of that, nothing that Mr. Whitman has done up till this point surpasses the special 
video that he did for our number one moment. It's going to get us a copyright claim on YouTube, but it's totally worth it because we're not making any money on there anyway, so screw it. Um, in fact, I don't think they even like people drinking on YouTube, but so we'll, we'll see how long this episode actually lasts on YouTube. But uh, you know what? It's We're pulling out all the stops here, uh, and that includes one Luke Widbin. Here is his latest music video. It's great. Enjoy it. I'm going under in this time I fear I've lost all my feelings This all or nothing is the price to pay for hiring Keenan He traded Shanny away and Cujo as well Got rid of Duchesne, fears weights off the scale But he got back in shape and Pronger was great and in February we all heard of the trade Now the blues lean on the great one And like the whole team is over 30 bucks We got Gretzky and we got Brad Hall I was thinking that St. Louis was gonna win the cup We're in the playoffs with the hottest goalie in the The Blues were rolling with a game one win against the Leafs. Then our dreams were crashed right into the goal. Fears knee ripped to shreds by Nick Kiprios. With Casey and Ned, the Blues would win anyway. Down to 0 in the next round, they came back with three straight. Now the Blues lead the Red Wings 3-2. He's not here when the next season starts We let our guard down and Keenan pulled the rug I was thinking that St. Louis was gonna win the cup And the Red Wings, they always kicked us out For three years, fourth year was stars with Hall That's what we get for getting our hopes up Won't keep the blues from winning the cup. <laughs> he did it again. He did. He really did. I actually I started tearing up a little bit it, listening to that one. Oh man, once he got to the Gretzky had it and then he lost the puck part. Yeah. It was it was it was emotional. It was emotional. And by the way, uh two thumbs up to Luke Whitbin's interpretive dancing in that yeah. video. I mean, you know, when, when, when we say that, you know, our Bluenos family goes the extra mile for you, um, you know, we, we have guy climbing mountains and then we have Luke 
doing beautiful, beautiful interpretive dancing. Uh, stick taps to Luke Widbin. Uh, we're gonna have to play that later. Uh, oh. some point, I think. Yeah, yeah. we we definitely have to play that later. Uh, uh, beautiful stuff. Beautiful stuff. Um, so uh, and that leads us into our number one most stomach turning blues moment in history, which is that very moment. And uh, before we get to that point, uh, Guy the Y Blues fan, he uh, uh, went to multiple locations this week for his Aloha commentary. Uh, he's got a couple honorable mentions to start us off here, and then he's going to talk about his number one uh, most gut-wrenching moment in Blues history. So without further ado, here is Guy the Hawaii Blues fan. Aloha! And welcome to the Blue Notes Pod. I'm Guy, the Hawaii Blues fan, host of the Blue Note Fan Report. And this is my Aloha commentary. Well, we've reached the end of our journey. Almost. We have discussed the numbers 2 through f- 5 and 7 through 10 most gut-wrenching moments in St. Louis Blues history. And here they are. Now it's time to move on to a very sad moment in blues history and a moment that almost every blues fan would never forget until July 12th, 2019. So, in order to talk about my number nine moment, or pardon, not my number nine, my number six moment, we took an ATV through the mountains of Kolau Ranch. A lot of movies were filmed here, and it was happy times. But on Memorial Day, 1977, in Lee Summit, Missouri, at the farm of Gary Unger's house, my number six moment happened. They had a after-season picnic, uh, barbecue, on Memorial Day at Gary's farm, or at Gary's farm, and uh, Bob Gessoff was there with his uh, pregnant wife, and towards the end of the afternoon, uh, they had been on some four-wheelers, much like we had just been on, and decided to ride a motorcycle, a couple of dirt bikes. Um, unfortunately, this turned tragic. Uh, while riding the dirt bike, uh, Bob Gassoff, uh had, on, had a head-on collision with a, a car that was coming to the ranch. Um, it was a, a, go, a gopher going out and getting ice and things like that. Um, he was rushed to the hospital. Unfortunately, he was DOA. Uh, his son, Gary Jr., is the bright spot out of this. Uh, Gary played a little bit of hockey. But Gary is a, um, I think he's a commander in the United States Navy SEALs. Uh, Gary Jr., you know, has, has carried on his father's legacy. He was a small, tough man, and he was somebody that the uh, Blues loved to have on his team. Uh, he was greatly missed, and the Blues did something really nice and retired his number. Um, I've talked to Bruce Affleck, who was there that day, and... and you can still hear the sadness in his voice when he talks about that. Is Bob Gassoff's death. Well, we've almost come to the end of our journey. And it's actually been a lot of fun going over these top 10 most gut-wrenching moments. I talked about my number nine moment being Bob, our number six moment being Bob Gassoff passing away. 
The guy's number six moment we talked about earlier with me was uh, Brett Hull signing as a free agent with Dallas and leaving. Um, unfortunately, that tenure of Brett Hall wore out, and not much more we could do about that. So, I'm standing in the heart of Waikiki, next to the Duke Kayamoku statu statue. Duke was considered the father of open ocean surfing, and probably one of the greatest surfers that ever lived. This is a fitting spot to talk about the number one most gut-wrenching moment. On May 12, 1996, in Hockey Town at Joe Louis Arena, 13 of 14 possible Hall of Famers stepped on the ice for what turned out to be an epic Game 7 in the second round. The Blues and the uh, Detroit Red Wings Seven Hall of Famers on each side. Now, bear in mind, the Detroit Red Wings Hall of Famers were younger in their career, where most of the Blues were older in their careers toward the end of them. But that's the power and, and the, the magnitude that you had on that ice that day. At the second overtime, very early, John Casey gets tested. He's ready. And the puck goes back and forth a little bit. All of a sudden, with a few minutes gone, puck is passed, Gretzky catches it with his stick, and the famous lines, Gretzky had it, lost it, are uttered. Problem is, it's not so much that he ever had it, or that he ever lost it, he tried to stop it, and didn't stop it well enough. This play should be called, John Casey, what the hell were you thinking? To me, he never gets enough blame for this. Never. People don't look at that he wasn't in the play. And had Casey been in the play, you know, I don't think that Eiserman takes that shot. I think that the Blues are able to get back, and, and it's a nothing play. But because Casey had no clue what he was doing, wasn't square to the shooter, this is what happens. We have this moment that lasted all the way until 2019. But, with all that being said, guys, I think you missed one moment. I think there is one moment that is more gut-wrenching to Blues fans and to St. Louisans in a whole than any other. Now, in order for me to talk about that, I need to go to one more place. And I hope that the guys will kind of hold off on showing this one until near the end of the show. So, this is Guy the Hawaii Blues fan saying, guys, enjoy talking about this. And I can't wait to see the rest of you on Aloha Commentary Blue Note Fan Report. And I really want to hear what you think about my most gut-wrenching, grand finale gut-wrenching moment. Aloha, and I'll see you soon. And there we go. Uh, there's uh, the first two parts of his uh, three-part Aloha commentary this week, and we will hold off on his third one until a little later on when we get to our honorable mentions, once we're crying into our drinks after getting done with the first stomach-turning moment. Uh, his honorable mention this week was Bob Gassoff. Um, In case you don't know who Bob Gassoff was, uh, he was a young defenseman 
who really had all the makings of being a blues legend. I mean, he was he was a tough, nasty player, uh, had amazing hair. I remember his, I mean, he had a beautiful head of hair. And um, he was, you know, he had a single digit number, which, you know, they, didn't, they don't just give to anyone. He was considered to be, you know, you know, like the next step after, you know, the Plaguers. Basically, once once the Plaguers faded, then it would be, you know, Gasoff's defense. And uh, um, unfortunately, a lot of us don't know who Bob Gasoff is unless we go to Enterprise Center and see his number on the rafters. Um, but that's another good one. Bob Gasoff. Yeah, it certainly is. And, you know, just thinking about that and then you parlay that into how many of the gut-wrenching early deaths that the Blues have had to suffer as well. You know, Barkley Plager, Bob Gassoff, you, you throw in Doug Wickenheiser in there as well. Um, and then even coming into present day, you know, having Ari uh, passing away, not necessarily a Blues yeah. player, but, you know, lots of gut-wrenching deaths early in, in people's lives when it comes to the Blues. And, and yeah, it's definitely a gut-wrenching moment. Not one that happened on the ice, but one that regrettably happened off the ice and essentially changed the course of the of the Blues franchise for the next 10 years. Exactly. And uh, um, it, it, it just it just it was such a big loss. And, uh, you know, we weren't around when, you know, that tragedy happened. But uh, uh, we can definitely understand why. Uh, I mean, Guy was definitely around back then and a lot of older fans were so. Uh, definitely a big loss there. Now, another thing I got to talk about with guys, Aloha commentary, and we're going to just go ahead and jump right into our number one most stomach-turning moment here, is that he kind of blasted John Casey a little bit for how he handled that Steve Eiserman shot. Uh, I'm going to try to make the case here as we go on here why John Casey actually deserves more credit than you know what he usually gets for you know getting the Blues to where he was. And I also don't necessarily think think i don't necessarily blame casey for that shot i don't think he expected it i don't think he i, I think he was I, I i think i read an explanation once once before that he was expecting it to, to go over the nets and like you know into the into the end boards but we'll get to that here in just a little bit so we have to start our journey through this painful painful time uh as a blues fan uh on february 27th 1996 wayne gretzky the great one, uh, the guy that led the Oilers to all those cups in the 80s, the Babe Ruth of hockey, he's coming to St. Louis. He was traded uh, by the Los Angeles Kings for Craig Johnson, Patrice Tardif, Roman Vopat, the St. Louis Blues, fifth-round choice, uh, who became a nobody, and a St. Louis uh, first-round choice, who became also a nobody, thank goodness, in 1997. Uh, now, do you remember, Wags, where you were when you heard the great one was coming to town? I was at my grandparents' house, uh, and that would be, so 1996, I was 11 years old. Uh, I actually just turned 11. February 16th is my birthday, so I, I was 11 for exactly 11 days when the news of Gretzky broke, and I just could not believe it because he was the great one. And at that point in my life, I only knew him from the Kings. I had never really understood his Edmonton career, so I only knew him from the Kings. And I still, he was great. He was the great one. I remember playing him in video games and, and, and all that. And just to know that the blues had him, it, it sent me over the moon and I could not have been more excited for that moment. That's, that's when I fell back in love with the St. Louis blues. Uh, you know, after 1992, uh, that was when I fell back in love with the blues and I could not wait to see the blues hoist the Stanley cup. Now that we had Gretzky. 
Yeah, I was a rabid blues fan pretty much through the entire early 90s. Uh, and then really, it never really subsided. I mean, but I was, I, I do feel that like I hit another level of blues fandom at that point than I, you know, may have had, like, say, like in the late 2000s, for instance, when they were playing like crap. Uh, you know, I grew up with guy. I mean, like this was this was a five, six, seven, eight year olds first exposure to hockey. So I grew up with Cujo. I grew up with Brett Hall. I grew up with Adam Motes and then eventually Craig Janney. You know, I grew up with Brendan Shanahan, those type of a names. And I knew who great. I definitely knew who Wayne Gretzky was. You know, he was it, you couldn't avoid the guy in the early 90s. He was just about on every piece of merch, single piece of merchandise that Michael Jordan was not on during that time period uh he was he was an icon he was an absolute icon um guy bensing by the way living in great lakes illinois he was dancing around his living room now i want to see guy i want to see you try to do some interpretive dancing like luke whitbin you know on you know the next the next aloha commentary that is your challenge um yeah actually i take it back you did some you, you did some a couple episodes ago when we had the you did the janice joplin uh, tribute, but uh, or anyway, not one J- Joplin, it was uh, Joni Mitchell. I always get those two confused. Um, you did that a couple episodes ago, but we, you know, w- you got some competition with Luke Whitbin here, guy. Keep up. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, guy. You got you're, you're awesome. Don't I'm totally just just ribbing you there. Uh, but yeah, so I was you know eight years old. I even had the uh, the Tiger Electronics, you know, Brett Hall, Wayne Gretzky shootout, which I have right back here. Wow. I had That's to buy impressive. This. Yeah, I had to buy this off of eBay because I lost the original one. But I'm impressed that I could find in 2019 a version as good as you know clean as this one. So uh, there you go. So the night that it happened, and and the the, the word night is is uh, very important as our viewership just exploded. That's interesting. Um, <laughs> but uh, as uh, it was at nighttime. Uh, it was a nighttime uh, announcement that uh, Wayne Gretzky had been traded to the St. Louis Blues. I would have been 10 years old at the time, going on 11. And I remember my dad tucking me in, you know, for bed. And um, he, you know, he he said his usual good nights and all that stuff. And, oh, by the way, Wayne Gretzky's a St. Louis Blue. And he closed the door. Exactly. You took the words out of my mouth. I did not sleep that night. I remember the next day at school, I was a combination of giddy excited and uh, just like absolutely dead tired because I had like maybe a half hour sleep tops because Wayne Gretzky's coming to town. And I remember the uh, St. Louis Post-Dispatch, the headline Wayne's World and um you know, it was and, and and the big announcement. I I I think I still have that somewhere. It's buried in a box somewhere. But it was a huge, huge deal when Gretzky came to St. Louis because you had, uh, for one, the media frenzy around Gretzky at the time was just in insane. And I think anyone that was a member of the St. Louis Blues at the time uh, could tell you that. Uh, uh, his his view his the media hounding him was just absolutely insatiable at the time. Um, now, how did he do as a St. Louis Blue? Now, uh, in 18 games played in St. Louis, he had eight goals, 13 assists, 21 points, and he was a minus six. Um, but you re- you don't remember the numbers so much. You don't remember the fact that maybe he wasn't you know the Gretzky of the 80s or you know even like maybe his first couple years in L.A. But you remember the excitement around him, as I said. Uh, and in fact, you know, I remember very distinctly 
Uh, the first goal that he scored as a St. Louis Blue. It was his very first game in a St. Louis Blues uniform. It was in Vancouver against the Canucks. And hey, would you look at that? I have the video of it right here. I was nervous tonight, but I'm glad I finally scored first first period, and I don't have to hear anybody say, well, when are you going to score your first goal? Finally scored. It was his first period in his first game as a blue. Come on, Wayne. Come on. <laughs> the pressure he puts on himself. My God. I, it's a wonder he still has hair, you know, with all He's the pressure. Hair. Hair. He's got fantastic hair. I, I wish I wish I could have hair like that at his age. I wish I could, I could have that hair now, but I, I don't. <laughs> I, as you can see, I don't have that, you know, anymore. Um, but yeah, it was Gretzky's a St. Louis Blue. I still have tape of that game, by the way, and I think a couple other games because you know back then we had VCRs and you know it was very easy to record from your TV to your VCR. And uh, yeah, we st- my dad still has a tape of those somewhere around it. It was it was must see TV back then. It really was. So he was playing on a line with Brett Hall. Um, Al McGinnis had a really good year, one of his best as a Blue, sixty one points in eighty two games. Chris Pronger's coming along. He was still a very young guy at this point. Uh, Grant Fuhrer, an absolute Iron Man in net, playing 79 games, which, by the way, Wags, it's 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 part uh, part applause for Fuhrer for being able to handle that kind of a workload, but also kind of like a, you know, what the fuck are you doing, Mike Keenan, starting him with 79 games? Are you nuts? Um, yeah, that, just another one of Keenan's insanities, Wags. Well, and think about what happened coming up the fact that you had to go to John Casey in the playoffs because fear got injured and not to say that you could look in the crystal ball and say oh well craft fear is going to get injured so you're gonna have to rely on John Casey at some point and we see this a lot now in the NHL with the split you know goalie tandems but you have to let your backup play some games a little bit you have to just to have him ready to go and I think that might be a little bit why John Casey gets a lot of of the bad rap here in St. Louis because you know he, he came in essentially cold yeah to, to that to, to the playoffs and you just you, you're putting him in a bad position right off the bat and something interesting i kind of found as i was doing research for this was that john casey only got in nine games that year in the regular season um he didn't ha- he wasn't actually he didn't have the most backup games that year for the st louis blues it was a guy named bruce racine who had 11 games played for the Blues that year and a 313 goals against average. We'll get to Bruce Racine here in a little bit, and we'll also, of course, get into uh, John Casey as well. Uh, but, you know, you have all that. Shane Corson's the captain. Jeff Cortnall's back after that shit-tacular trade with the uh, Vancouver Canucks. Even Tony Twist beginning to build his legend as one of the uh, tough guys of the year, one of the best in his era. I put him, you know, about neck and neck with Probert as as far as you know who was who was the toughest. Uh, of course, you know Joey Coaster fans and uh, uh, others might have uh, an argument there. Yeah, don't um, like Kelly Chase here. You say that? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Chase. Well, not only that. I mean, Chase would kick all our asses, you know, easily. Yeah. But uh, uh, yeah, he he and Chase were were uh, in Twist rather were just amazing in the nineties. Um, also. Um, what people also tend to gloss over is that the Blues themselves didn't play that great with Gretzky. For the rest of the way, after February 27th, after the trade was done, the Blues just had a 6-10-5 record, which was uh, 
which we can kind of look at the reasons why. Like we know Gretzky and Hold didn't gel very well. Uh, we also know that we are less than a year until Mike Keenan gets fired. Um, so was it a lack of chemistry with Hull and Gretzky? Was it Keenan starting to lose the team? Or maybe that was it this, was having Gretzky just a distraction and trying to fit him in because Gretzky was given the captaincy, I think, right away. You know, he it was it was Shane Corson, but it was given to Gretzky right away. So so I don't really remember too much, you know, I mean, like besides, you know, all the hullabaloo about Gretzky. But what do you think maybe led to the Blues uh, poor record that time wags? It's the time old tradition of you're bringing in a new player into a system that he probably hasn't played with playing with players. He has Justin Falk, excuse me. <laughs> See, and I, and I will, I will back up that argument. Justin Falk didn't deserve the vitriol he got in his first season here because he's in a system. He's not used to playing. I think the same thing sort of happened with Gretzky and you add into that the distractions around him. The fact that he came in and was immediately given the captainship, uh, why would you give somebody the captaincy who hasn't even played on the team? Yes, he's the great one, but I'm sure if you were to ask him, hey, you're going to get traded to a new team, should you assume the captaincy when you get there? Gretzky himself would probably sit there and tell you, look, I'm not there to step on anybody's toes. I'm there to play and win games, and I'm going to be supportive of whoever's the captain on that team. And yes, you can look at it and say, yeah, who's going to listen to Shane Corson over Wayne Gretzky? But I don't think Gretzky's a guy that's going to step into that locker room and demand to be heard. No. He's going to offer his two cents and his his objectives, but he's not going to step on somebody's toes. He's going to support a guy like Shane Corson. So I think it's all the Keenan meddling. It's him coming in and giving uh, Gretzky the captaincy. It's you know allowing the distractions to take place. It's the other things that go along that weren't Gretzky. You know, the Dale Howarchuk thing. I mean, there's so many things that Keenan did it all went into the pot. And I think that is ultimately why everything failed because it seemed like people were walking on eggshells in the locker room, despite having Wayne Gretzky in that same locker room. And of course, uh, Grant Fear was actually a recent guest on uh, the Blue Note fan report that uh, our Hawaii Blues fan hosts. So make sure to check that episode out for some more insight into what was going on in the locker room and through the minds of the players at that point. So a uh, small anecdotal note, we are taping this, by the way, on the 20th anniversary of the St. Louis Blues comeback win in Toronto over the Maple Leafs, the Blues were down five to nothing at one point, and they rallied to win six to five. I don't remember that specific game very well, but it, it, that's it's it, that might be more impressive than the Monday Night Miracle, honestly. Well, considering they were going up against Cujo in that game too, that makes me more crazy. Poetic. Uh, yeah, I, I had given up on that game. I actually, it was, I believe it was a Friday night, Friday or Saturday night, one of the two. Mm -hmm. uh, the Blues got down big early and we decided to go to the mall. <laughs> so, <laughs> we were walking, and this is back in the day when the malls were the thing. So, yeah. we were at the mall and we were walking around and we happened to pass one of the sports stores that had a TV and you saw it across the ticker on the ESPN bottom line. It was like five to four. I'm like, oh crap, what did I miss? Alexander Havanoff had two goals. Sasha Havanoff. <laughs> Sasha, he, my he, boy. Uh, he of the bracket that we did this past That's summer right. COVID break. Uh, he had two goals. You had Jokin Hesch. You had Michael Hansu scoring goals. Uh, yeah, that was an epic because it happened in Toronto too. So not only are you going up against the Maple Leafs in Toronto against Cujo, you had a bunch of no-name players outside of McKinnis scoring goals in that game. It was just insane. I, I watched the, the replay of the highlights today, and I got chilled mm -hmm. once again just watching it because that is – yeah, outside – the Monday Night Miracle was amazing because it happened in the playoffs, but that game right there, 
it all happened in the third period. It wasn't yeah. even like a small chipping away. It all happened in like 16 and a half minutes in the third period. That is unbelievable. I know Steve Dangle, who's a major um, Toronto Maple Leafs fan, has ranted about this game a couple of times. It's, that's worth checking out if you just want to see a Toronto fan whine, you know, incessantly. Um, so we mentioned this because during this playoff run in the first round, the Blues took on the Toronto Maple Leafs in the first round. The Blues were a five seed and Toronto was a number four seed. And by the way, remember Wags when the Blues and Maple Leafs were in the same division? I mean, what a, what a time to be alive. That's almost unheard of to think about nowadays. Well, yeah, because you have what, Toronto, Chicago, was in that division. I mean, it was literally the black and blue division. Yeah. It wasn't just the colors of the team. It was the colors of the guys' bodies after those games. It, Rough. That was some of the best hockey I can even remember uh, back in the 90s. It was just insane. Yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a great time to be a fan. Just a lot of... A lot of tough games, you know. It was it was the tough guy division, the old Norris division, you know, back in the day. Um, so let's go ahead and go to uh, that first round matchup here, um, April eighteenth, nineteen ninety six. Uh, the Blues won Game One. It's Game Two of the series, and there's a scrum in front of the net. My knee's starting to hurt already. Fuhrer <laughs> secures the puck. Pronger gives Nick Kiprios a nudge. I call it a nudge. And then Kiprios defies physics, falls the other way, and goes crashing into Grand Fuhrer, who's on his knees. And Fuhrer bends backwards and ends up shredding several knee ligaments in the process. Now, he still walks off because Grand Fuhrer was an absolute warrior, still is. Um, and But whenever I saw John Casey come in, uh, my heart dropped because I knew this team was going to be in big trouble without Grand Fuhrer. Yeah, no question. I mean, I, I'll, I'll be honest. I was in school at the time, so that was a late game. I ended up having to go to bed. Uh, it was past my bedtime, so I missed out on seeing that happen live. But waking up the next day and hearing the news and then watching the replay on TV, uh, yeah, my heart sank as well because, like we said earlier, John Casey played in nine games during the regular season. Not nine yeah. starts. He had He played in nine games. games. Yeah. So you basically are bringing in a, a, a cold backup to come in. And as that series progresses, we're going to talk about your, your confidence in John Casey grew a little bit, but it was still like, man, where would we be at if Grant fear were a net? Well, and it was some small miracle that he was even fear was even playing because uh, one that one note that tends to be forgotten in time. And actually, I didn't even know this until I looked it up today. Uh, Fuhrer had dislocated a kneecap on the same leg on March 31st, and it, it was an injury that ended his consecutive game streak at 76. You know, he could have played all 82 if he had wanted to, if he had not dislocated that kneecap. So just, uh, you know, food for thought there. Uh, by the way, so we I looked up some instant reaction at the time from that Grand Fuhrer uh, for your injury. And of course, um, you know, we go up north uh, to Canada for a couple of uh, prognosticators were talking about it. The first person you're going to hear, we're going to play a couple clips here. The first one you're going to hear is Don Cherry talking about that. He's not wearing his drapes as a suit yet. So, you know, he actually has a pretty reasonable suit on. And then you'll hear the always rational compared to Don Cherry anyway, Bob McKenzie. And then Pat Burns, who had just been fired by the Leafs. And right before he got hired by Boston, he was the he was a TV analyst in Canada at the time for the playoffs, and he just absolutely drags Mike Keenan. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, take a listen. 
I'm just getting a scoop. You're wondering why my eyes look dazed. Why is this gay? Grant Fear gone for the year. It's torn medial collateral. Well, that's game. what I tell you, dude. Dummy defenseman. I mean, you know, Chris thought he was doing a good now? thing. You don't like this. No. Hey. I'll, I'll get into this in a lot more detail later on tonight when we have the pregame show before the Toronto-St. Louis thing. But as far as I'm concerned, it's a joke. The NHL's got rabbit ears. They've got some up. There's a, a lot of furor about this, if you pardon a bad pun, in St. Louis. And they're taking the easy way out, suspending a guy that the Leafs are going to go, hey, you know, Nick Kiprios, he's already been the factor in the series, probably wasn't going to be a factor in the rest of the series. And the easy way out, we'll give him a game suspension and uh, let's uh, bring down all the, uh, the howling. Yeah, Pat, uh, Bob makes a good point. Uh, there won't be Richard-like riots over uh, Nick Kiprios getting suspended by, for Toronto. Well, while he's talking about that tonight, do I have to be here? Because I might have to go back and leave if uh, I, kind of, I don't want to be accused of any awesome. kind of... Uh, Stick criticism. around, we'll have some no, fun. No, 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 no. Uh, Ollie, we should call Mike Keenan, first of all, and try to find out the name of that doctor, because he's good. But this is all Mike Keenan theatrics out there. He can't play, he can't... That's not skating, that's just cruising around the rink. That's all Mike Keenan theatrics to try to psych out the Leafs. Look at guys, Grant's back, he's going to come and get you guys. There's no way in the world that guy can play. You know, Pat Burns had a lot more confidence in Grand Fear's knee than uh, I think even Grand Fear himself. I wish Pat 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 Burns was true and Fear did come back that playoffs and pulled a Willis Reed going down the down the uh, aisle, but didn't happen. Uh, by the way, Don Cherry, did you love Don Cherry? Uh, you know, laying all the blame on Chris Pronger's you know doorstep for that one. Uh, I think history has proven that's not correct. No, not at all. I mean, we've seen Chris Pronger make some. Bad plays, take some bad penalties, cost the team some games, but in no way, shape, or form was that a bad play by Chris Pronger. He was young. No. He was trying to clear the front of the net, trying to get the guy away from his goalie. And as you you see in the clips that are played, Kiprios fell the other way. Yes, it was, it was intentionally done. The the the, the, the dive was intentional. The in, the intent to injure, not so much, but still, you have to think. If you're going to dive into a player, there's some sort of potential for injury. So while you may not have intended to injure somebody, the risk is there. And that right there should have warranted more than a game suspension. And I understand the argument, oh, yeah, to quiet the fury, you're going to spend Kiprios, who wasn't going to make you know be a factor in this series. It quiets everybody down. I mean, it had to be more than that because yeah. he's a role player, but it's still something you should be taking out of the game. Well, his analyst career should have begun right then and there, yeah. maybe, you know, instead of, you know, him lingering in the league for a couple of years. Um, by the way, and, and, and you know, the, the, the fact that Kiprios fell the other way and into Fuhrer is we're not saying anything provocative by that. Kiprios himself and Grant Fuhrer even both. I mean, Kiprios has admitted, first of all, that he did fall into Fuhrer on purpose. It was to create chaos. It was trying to get into the heads of the Blues a little bit, trying to stir them up a little bit. It was game two. I think the Leafs were down at that point. Uh, so they were trying to, you know, he was trying to spark something, basically. And Fuhrer agrees. In his documentary, The Making of Coco, he he says flat out that, you know, Kiprios, you know, yes, he that was the intent to fall on him. It was a, he, he says that's just the type of player Kiprios was. But he agrees there was not an intent to injure. You know, I think what happened happened it was a freak thing it wasn't kiprios being a hitman trying to take out you know the blues iron man goalie you know knowing that the blues did not have you know a backup nowhere near you know fears level but what happened happened so uh in that series the blues ended up uh, they, they ended up losing game two five to four in ot 
Uh, they ended up uh, winning three to two uh, and then five to one to take a three games to one lead. Lost in overtime in game five and then one in game six. And Casey, Casey wasn't bad. Uh, I I think the Blues defense really tightened up around him. I think they I think they kind of, everyone on the team kind of understood, you know, what not having fear meant and what not having fear needed meant things needed to be done, you know, to mitigate his loss. Uh, but Casey had to come up big in game four. He stopped 41 out of 42 Leafs shots. He did have a bad game five, and then he rallied to stop 23 out of 24 in the series clinching game six. So the Blues have taken care of the Toronto Maple Leafs. They're gone. And now it's time for Detroit and those white Russians. Oh, I had to drink because I'm thinking about the Red Wings. Yes, I know. I know. Well, first of all, here's here, here's another reason, you know, here's more more stats in favor of John Case. I'm a, I'm a, we have looked at this series through so many different angles. Uh, there's no point in rehashing them, except I'm going to look through the series through the eyes of John Casey. Game one stops 25 out of 28. Not bad. Not bad. It was a three to two loss, but he, it wasn't bad in game two. He stopped just 23 out of 31 shots. Um, and then he's replaced in the final 33 seconds by Bruce Racine, who we talked about earlier. Uh, Racine was actually the primary backup for much of the year for the Blues that year. We don't remember even who this guy was, uh, but he never started a game, but he came in 11 games in relief of Grand Fuhr. Um, he had three losses and a 313 goals against average. And that season, his 11 games with the Blues was the only NHL action he ever got, ever. That was his one crack at the NHL. He played in the minors the rest of his career, a little bit overseas. Even was named the team MVP twice by the Fort Wayne Comets, my favorite ECHL team, by the way. Um, But back to John Casey. Game three, he's thrown back out there because it's either him or Bruce Racine. And God, he don't want to start Bruce Racine. Oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, But John Casey goes back out there. I mean, granted, at this point, Casey's an experienced at minor. He... uh, uh, he led the. He was the starting goaltender for the North Stars for many years. So you know you're going with the experience here, as Keen intended to do with every decision he made. Uh, Casey stopped thirty of thirty four. Eh, okay. Uh, but then game four, a twenty nine save shutout, and they tied this. The Blues tied the series two games to two with that win. It was a one nothing win. Uh, game five. Casey stops 37 out of 39, helps the Blues to a 3-2 win. And here we are, Wags. The Blues lead three games to two. And holy shit, John Casey's a revelation. I mean, this th- this might actually happen. We the, the 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 Red Wings dynasty might get stopped before it gets be before it begins. And it's and it no, it didn't work out like that, Wags. It, it, it didn't. The big thing is, is that that game five victory was in Detroit, so you had a chance to come back home and finish out the Red Wings, and, and that's why I think this is even more painful because they essentially slayed the Dragon in Detroit, and then were able to come home and have a chance to to close it out, and I think that's why it hurts so much more. Yeah, so Casey he ends up laying an egg in Game Six, allowing four goals and twenty two shots, and then Game Seven he stops thirty nine. Red Wing shots, he should have stopped 40. Um, and if excuse me, I need a drink here real quick. 
<laughs> oh, he's down in it. He's down in it. Ah, uh, yeah. I just I had to finish that glass off uh, because this next part's going to be rough. <sighs> All right, here we go. Just over a minute into the second overtime of Game Seven, zero zero, Wayne Gretzky steals the puck, or so it appeared, in what some would call lazy puck handling. It caroms off his stick, ends up on Steve Eiserman's stick. Eiserman cuts through center ice, uh, skates just barely before the blue line, and he fires a shot. It looks like it's nothing. It looks like it might be a dump and chase kind of a deal where it just caroms around the uh, the you know the backboards and you know back out to uh, one of the sideboards. Um, it's um, it it looks like nothing, but it becomes something. It uh, becomes a goal, slipping by an astonished John Casey, who I will give I will say guys right when you look at the replay, it looked like John Casey had no idea what was coming at him, and look, you know, for all for all he knew, it was you know, uh, it, it, for all he knew, it was uh, the uh, you know John F. Kennedy's you know sniper you know going for him. I mean, it's kind of how it looked like, you know, he kind of like olayed it a little bit, um, like he was afraid to touch it. Um, it slips underneath the crossbar just barely. Detroit fans explode. History is made once again at the expense of the Blues. And I wept. I, it was a Saturday night. I went to church the next day in my Gretzky jersey. This very one right here. You're literally looking at history with that Gretzky jersey. And um, I was not very Christian-like uh, with the kids in my class uh, Sunday morning. I just sat there in angry silence, the, the kind of silence you see in a person, you, you don't even say hello. You're afraid. To, you're kind of even afraid to look at the guy because you're afraid he'll stab you. That's kind of how I was. I was very, you know, loudly quiet, if that makes sense. And um, it was a rough month in general for me. It took me a while to get back to normal. It was, it was, it was tough. And I know a lot of blues fans were, you know, feeling very similar, but uh uh, where were you, Wags, when Eiserman ripped that shot, and how did you cope? Once again, over at my grandparents' house, because uh, at that time I, we were living with them for a little while as we transitioned from one house to another, uh, and it just so happened that's where we were at when when that game went down. And uh, you know, I, I was kind of the same way as you. I I was crushed. Um, that was my first real taste of heartache and and a broken heart. And I always tell people my, my heart was broken, not by a girl, but by the St. Louis blues <laughs> that, That's true to this day uh, that the blues are the first broken heart that I've ever had, because we, Don't had, blame you. Uh, we had Gretzky, we had Hall, we had Pronger, McKinnis, Fuhrer. Yes. He didn't get a chance to play in this series, but they, they had done everything right. They beat Detroit in Detroit. They had a three, two series lead. They had the momentum. They, they, they believed in themselves all with, Mike Keenan still in charge at the expense of Mike Keenan. They had the shot. This was going to be it. And then for it to end as anticlimactic as it, as it was. And yes, I say that about a two overtime game in Joe Lewis, Joe Lewis arena with the puck on Steve. <laughs> I stick. I mean, that was the most anticlimactic way to end. It was like when the Hawks win the, the Stanley cup against Philadelphia on that Patrick Kangle that no one saw go in. I mean, you just, you, you sit there and you go, wait, did, did that happen? What? How did that even happen? <laughs> and yeah, for, for me, I was the same way. It took me a month, month and a half to really kind of come out of that funk. And I was almost scared to watch the next season. I really, really was. And then mm. when they turned off 
as poorly as they did, it almost confirmed my fears. And I wouldn't say I went away from the Blues for a little while, but I wasn't as active in my fandom for, for that year. Uh, but they they got me back. They got me back. I mean, Pronger, McKinnis, when they brought in Quenville, I was like, okay, I saw what he did in Colorado. And I'm like, this this is this is the guy. And, you know, we, we all know how that ended up too. Yeah, I can definitely feel you on that hangover. And, and I think I also kind of, for the first few months of that next season, just like I, I was very dubious about the blues, you know, that, that that's basically the best word that could describe my feelings about the blues, because I'd invested in all this time and energy and hope and tears, you know, even into a team. And I was not getting the return back from this team, you know, when, when you're, and it's, it, it sounds simplistic, but when you're 11 years old, you know, and this is your first time you've had that kind of experience that's how you react, you know, if, if, if you're a hardcore sports fan like we are. Uh, my friend Tim, by the way, that night he says he was yelling at John Casey for not stopping the puck. Um, I can see that. And then Gibbs, a proud St. Louis Blues fan, uh, one of our Twitter followers, says he was in disgust on the floor on my parents at my parents' living room, which was about what I was that night. So I'm glad to know I'm not alone in, in admitting, you know, my my open weeping over what happened in that game. So. Uh, by the way, Luke Whitman takes a more pragmatic approach here. Everyone asks what you would do with a time machine. I would tell John Casey to get his angles right. Now, I, I will say this in John Casey's defense. The one class that I failed in high school was geometry. Um, so I don't blame Casey for not getting his angles right because I couldn't get my angles right either, you know, in, in high school until I had to take geometry a second time. So, you know, there you go. And you don't have a puck flying at you at 100 miles an hour, too. That's true. You know, <laughs> you know, I when I have all the time in the world, I can't do geometry well. When John Casey has a puck flying at about 100 miles an hour, he can't do geometry well either. So maybe cut him just a little slack, just a, just a little bit. Anyway, um, that's all we have to say about that. That is our number one most stomach-turning moment. I need another drink. I'm probably going to grab one here in a little bit because we're going to get to our uh, honorable mention here. And before we get to that, uh, we have a, uh, one final segment from uh, Guy, the YA Blues fan. Uh, he's going to talk about uh, uh, one of the, his top moments. Um, and let's go ahead and play that right now while I go find myself a, another bottle to crawl into. Well, now I feel our journey has come to an end. I am standing in front of the Honolulu War Memorial Natatorium. This building was put up after 1945 in honor of war veterans. Uh, however, in 1979, it became unusable and it sat here since then. No one knows what to do with it. The city and county are studying it, but sooner or later, it will probably be torn down. And that brings me to my grand gut-wrenching moment, this. That's right, the arena coming down in, I think it was 1999, in February of 99, if I remember correctly, is my most gut-wrenching moment. The number of games that I've seen there and all the things that I had done and the concerts and all of that, uh, getting Brett Hull and Adam Oates to sign my puck outside of, of the front of it before a game, things like that just 
when I see this video, and I didn't get to see this live, I got to see it months, I think even a year later, before I finally got to see it, it still just tears a part of me out. Yes, we have a beautiful new building now, but I'll never forget on ESPN one time during a Blackhawks and Blues game, they drew an outline around the building and when the wave was going, you could see the building shaking. So, guys, this is the moment I think you missed. Sorry about that. Uh, I just gotta say it's been so much fun doing this segment up to this point. So, this is Guy, the Hawaii Blues fan, saying aloha, mahalo, and I will see you again on my next Aloha Commentary and on the Blue Note Fan Report. By the way, please check out the Blue Note Fan Report's interview with uh, Jim Thomas and Tom Timmerman of the Post-Dispatch. They give a lot of good insight into what, how the Blues are shaping up for the next season. Aloha! Man, the gut punches just keep on coming. I, you know, when he's talking about that one being one we missed, I agree. I think that is definitely a, a gut punch that we missed because I remember going to the arena, and ironically, the, the one game I remember seeing in the arena was against the Kings and Wayne Gretzky. I mean, we got obliterated. It was like 8-3, to three, but that was the one game I saw in the arena. And to have that, to have to relive that, demolition oh man don't mind me uh this is a very hard episode so i'm, I'm just i'm i'm, I'm coping here <laughs> i just say i thought you were getting a refill it looks like that cup's empty again it, no it well mm, no comment um <laughs> yes yeah, so uh yeah the arena was a that was also a very sad moment for me and i was about 14 when that thing went down and uh no tears, but it, it was it was you know I it, it's sad now for me because I live right down the street off of Oakland from the arena. You know it's it's I'm on the other side of Hampton, and um, I always think about the arena every time I you know drive you know drive by it. And um, yeah, it, it's a place I missed. You know I I have some memories from the arena. I didn't go to enough games to where. It's like I can't I can't tell you the exact layout of the arena. Like I could tell you like how the enter, how Enterprise Center is laid out. You know I can I can pop that up right there. I didn't go to enough games in the arena where where I could do that. Um, but I can remember all just I remember enough to where it, it it makes me sad that we haven't gone and uh, we didn't put that in our top ten, but maybe we should have just just because I, I know and I know for the longest time. Remember Wags. When they were trying to, they were thinking of making it an aquarium. Yeah, you know, they were they, they were thinking. I think that was one of many ideas they had just to keep the thing going. And now yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Go ahead. I was gonna say it was part of the skyline. It was part of the history of that area, and to have it gone was tough. It was it was very tough. And yeah, they did everything they possibly could to to keep it there. I mean, they still had you know, monster truck places, things going on there. They still had concerts going on there. I mean, it. It should it should have been considered a historical <laughs> landmark for God's sake. It should have. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it, it was it, yes, it, the place was kind of a dump, but by the time it was done, it, it was yeah. not the prettiest place in the NHL to 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 go attend and watch a game. I know. I I, I remember like the press box. I think you had to climb a ladder to get up to the press box. It was like it was kind of primitive. 
Um, but I mean, they could have they could have renovated it and they could have you know turned it into something interesting. Like it, it would be nice to see like you know youth hockey being played there or something like that. You know, like 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 if we had a junior hockey team, maybe they could play there. But um, alas, uh, they could not figure it out, and now it is uh, dime a dozen office and you know apartment space. So iHeartRadio sure is there too. I think I heard, yeah, among, among among other things, yeah. There's there there is a uh, um, brew pub there. I think it's literally called the Brew Pub because yeah. they were so original. They can only think to call their restaurant the the Brew Pub. Um, yeah. I guess, I guess we're not getting a sponsorship from them. No, we, we're, <laughs> we, no we are not. We are not. The, the arena should still be there, in my opinion. But uh, speaking of uh, the arena, you know, one of the stars in the uh, St. Louis arena in its late days was Brett Hall. And he is our honorable mention. Uh, Brett Hall leaving St. Louis to join the Dallas Stars two years after the uh, disaster against Detroit. And uh, we kind of addressed this during the Keenan episode as well. So we're not going to like get too into the weeds as to, you know, what happened with Hall. But, um, you know, Hall and Keenan infamously did not get along. We we, we covered that. By this point, he also kind of gained a reputation for being a selfish player. And this was this was a reputation he would shed later in his career as he started changing the way he played in Dallas. And then ultimately in Detroit, he was like an ultimate team player for Detroit. He was a. Uh, you know, he wasn't the primary goal scorer for them, but he can do all he was, you know, he was starting to pass the puck more and just, you know, being more of a team player. Um, but before he left St. Louis, you know, I, I get the feeling he was just done with, with St. Louis. I, he had gone through the ringer with, with Keenan. He didn't like Joel Quinville either. People have to forget. I mean, it wasn't just Hole and Keenan. Uh, Brett Hole didn't like Joel Quinville either. According to Sports Illustrated, during the last season, Hall was unhappy over the prospect of leaving the Blues, and during a training camp practice, he fired a puck at coach Joel Quinville. Hall was then startled when Quinville retaliated and fired a puck back at him. And uh, Quinville said, uh, I don't want to talk about it. Brett and I addressed it. We moved on. And do you remember that incident, uh, the, 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 the puck incident with him and Quinville? No, I don't. I, I don't remember that very well at all, actually. That's that's new information to me, but not surprising in the least either, because Quenville was a fiery coach. He was yeah. not going to take any crap from anybody. No. Uh, you know, he, he had to deal with Patrick Waugh. So, I mean, you go from Patrick Waugh to anybody else, you can, you're can you not taking crap from anybody. Yeah, Mark Bergevin, you know, who, of course, you know now is the Montreal Canadiens GM, but he played with the Blues in the late 90s. He said after he arrived in St. Louis, he didn't think the Blues would ever win a cup because of Hull's selfishness and selfish play. So Hull would move on. You know, after the, you know, the puck shooting incident, he rejected a three-year $15 million offer by the Blues, signed a three-year $17 million deal with the Dallas Stars. Why Dallas? Well, according to SI, it kind of surprised him that they were interested in him, but they felt, uh, Ken Hitchcock felt that they needed more firepower that offseason because they got an early playoff exit and they had trouble scoring. Um, And they also included a no-trade clause, which the Blues didn't. And I'm going to, I'm going to, Give you a line here from Blues general manager Larry Plo that is oddly prophetic to hmm. what what the Blues just went with went through with Alex Petrangelo. Blues general manager Larry Plo told SI, "Quote with anybody, not just Brett. If you give him a no trade contract, you're giving the player more power than the coach, more power than the other players or management." End quote. 
G-Wags, doesn't that sound familiar with Doug Armstrong and Petro's insistence on a no-movement clause? What? <laughs> that was my Scooby-Doo impression. Uh, but but I, I, can't, I can't believe that's the case. I mean, it almost makes it seem like it's a St. Louis Blues uh, policy that you don't give out no-trade clauses to your superstars. But it, it just goes to show you that what Doug Armstrong was thinking is something that's been around for a long time, at least in the St. Louis area, is that, yeah, you're not giving a player control over a team or a player or management. And to know that Brett Hall went through the same thing as Alex Petrangelo, I'm just glad that Petro has a Stanley Cup with the Blues because I don't think I could stand having a guy like Petro not have a cup here, leave mm-hmm. in the same manner as Brett Hall, and then win a cup with uh, Vegas. Yeah, I know, right? And, and of course, you know, Hole, you know, he was my childhood hero and my icon. And I, I wasn't privy to any of this contract talk and, you know, a lot of the back, backroom stuff. But, you know, it hurt me when on November 14th, 1998, Brett Hole scored his 1,000th point in his career as a member of the Dallas Stars. And I felt angry and hurt over that because that's a moment that should have happened here in St. Louis. But it didn't because, you know, it wasn't one reason. It was as, as we kind of have relayed, it was just Hull was frustrated. The Blues were frustrated with Hull. And it was just it, it's one of those things where, you know, like 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 Luke mentioned, you know, going into a time machine and telling, um, you know, John Casey to get his angles right. I don't know if that could have ever been repaired with Hall and the Blues. I think that was just a situation that was destined for a divorce. Even if Gretzky would have stayed, if if Gretzky would have re-signed with the Blues, do you think Brett Hall may have grinned and bared it for a year and then really started to see what Gretzky does as far as leading by example and maybe changed his stripes a little bit? I think what would have happened, I think Hall would have, as you said, grinned and bared for a year. I think he did want to legitimately give him and Gretzky a shot. You know I mean? Because, you know, as, as you pointed out, you know, when a player sometimes is acquired in a trade deadline, it takes him a little bit to gel with with you know his his teammates or his line mates. And when you have a guy with you know Hull's mentality and skill set, it it's hard for him to adapt. You know, to a guy that's like a superstar level type of a guy in Wayne Gretzky. Even even though Gretzky was thirty three, he was still you know very 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 good for his time. And I think Hull would have given it a year. I don't think I don't necessarily think it would have worked. I don't I, I based on what I saw with him and Gretzky, I still I, I think they still would have clashed. I think I mean, as you said, Gretzky's not a iron fisted, you know, captain and a leader, you know, my way or the highway type. He's not that way at all, but he is kind of a lead by example guy and he is a strong presence no matter, you know, no matter where you are. I mean, you know, you always know Wayne Gretzky's in the room wherever you are. He's just that type of personality, and I don't know if Brett Hall's ego could have handled it. Yeah, at Hall, least at, at least for a while, Hall wouldn't have been able to play in Gretzky's shadow, I don't think. And because Hall was the forward here, in yeah. San I mean, yeah, you had great defenders in McKinnis and Pronger, and they rightly got their pub. But when it came to the, the forwards on the Blues team, if it was Hall, great. If it's Gretzky Hall, yeah, yeah that ego may not have allowed him to last here unfortunately because that could have been a dynamic team it could it really could have been um but it's just it just didn't work out it just didn't work out so uh that is going to end our journey through the uh most most stomach turning moments in st louis blues history uh, of course we know that it took eight years for fences to be mended between hall and the blues 
uh, Dave Checkett took over from Bill Laurie in the mid 2000s. And I, and I remember this very distinctly, you know, when Checkett's bought the team, like, like his first act was to retire Brett Hall's number. And that was, that was a good gesture by him. It showed that he understood. I, you know, Dave Checkett's, we don't talk about Dave Checkett's too much because in the grand scheme of things, I don't think, I mean, he, he was a breath of fresh air from Bill Laurie, but he didn't really accomplish much as, as an owner. I don't think um, at the very least, I would say he's, I, my opinion on him is kind of neutral, but I will say, but he will always be, you know, neutral with a slight lean towards favorite because he bought the team from Bill Laurie and Bill Laurie was an absolute joke. You know, <laughs> well, him. yeah, just, it was, it was, it was a bad era. You had to think about all the things that that happened with Checkers. Yes, there was the misstep of you know basically giving concession sales to a, a private firm or, or to, to, to the group that so the Blues can't recoup the concession fees and stuff. There's there's a lot of things that happen financially on that side that you go, oh man, that was not mm-hmm. a good deal for the Blues. But you all you look at the things that he did. He retired uh, Hall, retired McKinnis, yeah. brought in John Davidson. He brought in, you know, Yarmul Kekalainen. and uh, Darren Pang was, was kind of brought in during the Checkets era as well. And, and, you know, you're like, oh, a broadcaster, what's that going to do? Darren Pang has brought a lot of credibility to the St. Louis Blues organization. And then you throw in what he's, you know, what Checkets did for the fans. You know, they had the free food days uh, yeah. down there as well. And that really kind of helped in the doldrums of that time frame when the Blues weren't all that good. It brought fans to the arena and it gave them early knowledge about what hockey was and built a lot of new fans from that. And then you throw in the TJ Oshie and Patrick Berglund and David Perron and, and and the young guys that that team had. So I think there was a lot more positives from the check. It's regime than people want to give him credit for. It still wasn't all that great, but I think a lot of the seeds that were planted then ultimately led to what happened in 2019. So I like to, to, to think of Checkets in a, in a positive light. And Luke's right. Uh, Checkets allowed the fan base to heal, and he really did set up the next group. And, you know, a lot of that was also, you know, done when Doug Armstrong took over from Larry Plo. And, you know, I could do an episode on Larry Plo someday because I wasn't his biggest fan. I was not Larry Plo's biggest fan. He was, I mean, you know, he granted, he never, like, ran the team into the ground or anything like that, or at least not by choice, you know, because of the, you know, I'm alluding to the Pronger trade. That was something that Laurie demanded that he'd he'd do um i always felt larry plo was conservative as a gm and he didn't like to roll the dice very much say for the kachuk and weight deals i mean what other big deals did he really make i mean he got turek but only he only got roman turek because the dallas gm interrupted larry plo's family barbecue to get to to offer turek to him i mean this wasn't something plo was like hardcore pursuing you know it just kind of happened you know it just i I did, he, he didn't like taking chances. I was I was very overjoyed when he retired in 2010 and Doug Armstrong took over. Although I guess we do got to get Plo credit for Petrangelo and um, like Peron, I think I think he was still the GM when Peron was taken as well. So I mean, there's there's pluses pluses and minuses to Plo, but I don't view him as favorably as others. And he was kind of the anti Walt Jockety in in yeah. St. Louis. Anti Ron Peron. Anti Ron Caron, guys that were wheeling, <laughs> wheeling, and he was more conservative. And yeah, you can look at that and go, yeah, he was conservative. He didn't do anything to push this team forward, but he allowed the you know the scouting department to to do its work, and he didn't necessarily give away a lot of you know draft capital in a sense. Yeah. And once again, just like Checkets, you know, it's 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 laying it's planting the seeds of 
of the future. And yeah, you got to have some luck in that as well. You got to have these, these picks, you know, kind of play out and, and work out. Uh, but he kind of allowed that to happen. I think he saw the writing on the wall and knew what was going to happen and was like, there's no reason. And, and he, with the weight and Kachuk deals, you know, he brought those guys in, but he also shipped them out to get draft capital. And then he was able to bring them back in as well. So there, there are, once again, you said positives and negatives to it. I view him a little bit more positive and, and also everything that he had to go through with his wife and her battle with cancer and things like yeah. that. There was a lot of pieces that went around with that. And he got a lot of flack for the pronger deal as well. Um, and, and I think that kind of hurt his legacy in St. Louis as well. Yeah. And I think we can all agree that Larry Plo was a lot better GM than Brett Hall was during his time in Dallas. Brett Hall, great player, a very stubborn and eccentric human being and a lousy GM. I think we can all agree on that well that's going to do it for this episode uh of course uh, don't forget that on thursday we are going to have the blues first round pick jake neighbors on blue notes if you have a question for jake neighbors uh please respond to our uh, twitter post we just made here in the last you know half an hour or so uh get your questions in we're going to record with jake neighbors tomorrow at four o'clock central time so get your questions in before then and we'll be happy to pass them along we're looking forward to uh, having uh, Jake Neighbors on our show as well. Of course, uh, Luke Widman, um, new video today. And according to Luke, there exists a full song version with interpretive dance, but <laughs> the world isn't ready. Um, Luke, I look forward to when you finally muster up the courage, maybe need a couple of these, and uh, post that on YouTube. We will certainly share that. At the very least, we'll share the version that we played earlier. Uh, whenever you do post that, Luke. But uh, Luke Whitman at Teriyaki Fingers. The guy is an absolute musical genius. Thank you to Luke. Thank you to Guy, the Wyatt Blues fan, for his Aloha commentary. He will uh, continue on with us in season two, which uh, will officially start on Thursday for us. Uh, this is going to kind of our conclusion of se- uh, season one of Blue Notes. Season two begins this Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts from. Again, the Thursday episodes will just be audio only. Um, and then we'll still do our Sunday episodes live like this, you know, here, uh, whether you're watching on YouTube or Facebook or Twitch or listening wherever you get your podcasts from. That's how we'll handle our Sunday, Monday episodes. Thursdays are going to be audio only. Any final thoughts, Wags? You know, I'm, I'm surprised I, I didn't cry. Um, I'm kind of happy I was man enough to get through it without shedding a tear. Uh, the alcohol helps, definitely. Uh, but I'm ready for season two. I'm excited. Uh, what a way to kick it off with the Jake Neighbors interview on Thursday. Uh, and we're only going to go up from there. So make sure yes. you guys join us in season two because it is going to be phenomenal. Onward and upward here on Blue Notes. And we're going to be uh, glad to be a part of uh, your lives, hopefully, for this ne- next season. Whenever there is a next season, who the hell knows? But in the meantime, we're going to be with you along the way. So that's going to do it for this episode. I want to thank you for listening and watching because without you, there is no me. There is no WAGS. There is no Hawaii Blues fan. There is no Luke Whitman. There is no Hockey Podcast Network. And by God, there certainly is no Blue Notes. I'm Tom Franklin reminding you to not be a chump and always play to the whistle. Jeremy Boyer. Wait, actually, hang on. Jeremy, calm your fingers down for a little bit. Luke Whitman, play us out. I'm going under in this time I fear I've lost all my feelings The 
It's all or nothing is the price to pay for hiring Keenan. He traded Shanny away and Cujo as well. Got rid of Duchesne, fears weights off the scale, but he got back in shape. And Pronger was great. And then in February, we all heard of the trade. Now the Blues lean on the great one. And like the whole team is over 30 miles, we got Gretzky and we got Brad Hall. I was thinking that St. Louis was gonna win the cup. We're in the playoffs with the hottest goalie in the league. The Blues were rolling with a game one win against the Leafs. Then our dreams were crashed right into the goal. Fears knee ripped to shreds by Nick Kiprios. With Casey and Ned, the Blues would win anyway. Down to O in the next round, they came back with three straight. Now the Blues lead the Red Wings three to two. But in game six, they couldn't break through. Game seven, no score. Two OT, no luck. And that's when Gretzky had it and they lost the puck. And I tend to close my eyes because it hurts every time I think about that shot. It's a great one, glides as a man surprise breaks hard. He's not here when the next season starts. We let our guard down and Keenan pulled the rug. I was thinking that St. Louis was gonna win the cup. And the Red Wings, they always kicked us out for three years. Fourth year was stars with Hall. That's what we get for getting our hopes up. I was thinking that St. Louis was gonna win. We'll keep the blues from winning the cup. Listen to the Islanders Never Say Die podcast, your one stop shop for Islanders news, analysis, and opinions. Featuring the biggest personalities in sports podcasting, TJ and the Grumpy Old Man. That's right, TJ. If you want your opinions viewed through orange and blue colored glasses from an Islander Bobo and charter member of the Inlui Trust crowd, You'll love the measured commentary from TJ. On the other hand, if you want the unvarnished truth of a hockey purist, a genius, a legend, and an all-around great guy, the grumpy old man's insane ramblings will be just what you need to survive each and every week. An all-around great guy? Well, we also have weekly installments of Stump the Grump, an absolute fan favorite. Make sure to participate in our live streams and listen every Monday and Thursday to the bi-weekly podcast. You can find the Islanders Never Say Die podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network.